we have this intuitive sense for how big something is, right? For example, we know that $1 is way different than $100, and $100 is way different than $10,000, let's say. So naturally, numbers are bigger or smaller than each other, right? Sometimes they're way bigger or smaller. How can we use this mathematical concept to our advantage as individual investors? Well, find out today on Stock Stories. Welcome. Welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex Mason, and yes, I am your host and stock storyteller. This is the show where we decode the business behind the stock in order to help you make better investing decisions. And we also learn about mental models and investing principles that help complement stock analysis. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've got another great episode for you. We're going through the entire S&P 500. That's part of the goal of the show. But we also go through different principles as well as mental models just to kind of round out our thinking. It's not enough to look just at case studies, although those are extremely helpful. But sometimes we just need to step back and look at different concepts. And that's part of why I do these mental model episodes is to help you as an investor with these different kinds of concepts that maybe you've never been introduced to before, or maybe you've heard of the concept, but you don't know exactly how it applies to being an investor. Well, that's why I'm here to help you. Today, we're going to be talking about a mental model. Let's just go ahead and get into it. Today, we're going to be talking about the mental model of order of magnitude. All right, let's talk about the mental model of order of magnitude. Now, the way that this episode is structured is I'll just start by talking about the brief definition of what it is. Then I'll explain the concept in further detail. And then we'll take that knowledge and go deeper to find out how we can apply it as an investor. So let's go ahead and get started with the basic definition An order of magnitude is a concept that defines how big or small something is, and usually to the power of 10. So it defines how big or small something is, and it's usually to the power of 10. Let's dig into this a little bit deeper. How do we think about this mental model? Well, our modern number system, let's first start with that. It's based around the number 10. And when numbers were being invented by Indian mathematicians back, way back in the ninth century, they used 10 digits or the glyphs in order to represent the idea of how much, (laughs) how much something is, is so fundamental to the global economy 
in every single way. If we didn't have numbers, we wouldn't have money. We wouldn't have so many other things. And so this system was critical as far as how it was developed. And orders of magnitude, it really puts things in perspective. It, it answers the question of how much in a certain way. For example, how much do I weigh? Do I weigh one pound? Do I weigh 15 pounds? What about 150 pounds? Or maybe 1,500 pounds? Now, notice that in each of those numbers, I just went up by a factor of 10, right? 15 to 150, 150 to 1,500. I'm just adding a zero. Now, no matter who you are or what your actual weight is, the answer is always going to be closer to 150 pounds than any of the other answers, right? I mean, 15 pounds, that would be way too light, except if you were a small child listening to this. And the human body, it physically cannot be as heavy as 1,500 pounds. Although, quick caveat, I wanted to fact check myself, and the heaviest human being ever recorded was a man named John Minock, and he actually weighed in excess of 1,400 pounds before his death. But you get the idea. It's really about estimating how big or small something is. And 15 pounds is way too small and 1,500 pounds is way too, way too big. So most people are in the order of magnitude weight wise of 150 pounds. Now, of course, there are people who are 200 pounds, 300 pounds, of course. But as far as an order of magnitude, a general realm of understanding that's kind of the range that we're looking at for a human being. And you can apply the same concepts to time. How old are you? Are you one year old, <laughs> 10 years old? Maybe you're listening to this and you're 100 years old or maybe a thousand years old. Well, no, you're somewhere between 10 and 100, right? So we derive the context of scale from orders of magnitude. And honestly, that's all there is to it. There's no need to make it more complicated than that. Orders of magnitude tell us how big or small something is. And usually we think about this in terms of factors of 10 because that's the way our number system is based. Okay, so let's talk about this mental model in the context of investing now. Now, I want to talk about a concept that is a little bit math intensive, but don't worry, I won't get too deep, so stay with me. Remember in school when you look at a graph and there's like an x-axis on one side, usually going from left to right, and a y-axis on the other side, usually going from the bottom up? Well, the x-axis, it might be something like time, and the y-axis might be something like money or dollars. Now, if you plot out the growth of an investment that grows exponentially, you'll see a nice smooth curve going upward from the bottom left of the graph all the way to the upper right. Now, it starts small at first, but then it grows upward over time. And this represents compound interest, a concept we've talked about a lot on the show in the past. And if you want a visual example, if you're in a place right now where you can actually look at your phone, go ahead and pull up the stock chart of Amazon, ticker symbol AMZN, and look at the past several years of stock 
data on that company. And you'll see that the stock jumps up exponentially over time. And you can tell by looking at the y-axis and where the stock price is. So in the 2000s, the stock price traded well below $100 per share. It hit $1,000 per share in 2017. And now in 2021, it's already above $3,000 per share. So notice how if we look at the y-axis increasing linearly, for example, from $500 to $1,000 to $1,500, etc., it takes less and less time for the stock price to reach those milestones. Now that's compounding at work. All right, now let's talk about the concept of a logarithmic chart. Now on a logarithmic chart, the y-axis usually increases by factors of 10 as opposed to increasing linearly. So for example, instead of going from $0 to $500 to $1,000, it might go from $0 to $100 to $1,000 to $10,000 and have the same distance on the axis between those intervals. You follow me? So if you begin to plot a stock's price on a logarithmic chart, if it's growing exponentially over time, what you're going to see visually is instead of a curve going upwards gradually, you'll see more of a straight line. Now, why is that? It's because the scale or the order of magnitude, it's being reflected now by the y-axis. It's kind of like compressing that curve into a straight line because you're jumping up by this huge number. It takes the same percentage gains for a stock price to go from $10 to $100 as it does to go from $100 to $1,000. Now, do you see how this is useful? As investors, we can use orders of magnitude on a logarithmic chart in order to help identify, for example, the steadiness of growth rates. Maybe we wanna know the growth of a company's stock price, or maybe we wanna know the growth of some other fundamental metric like earnings or like sales. Logarithmic charts, which apply the principle of order of magnitude, help us visually track these non-linear variables in a more linear way. So that's really why they're useful. So if you don't remember logarithmic charts from school or you're just never familiar with them, go ahead and just do a quick Google search for them and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. All right, so how else can this concept of order of magnitude help us as investors? Well, another really practical thing is I think it's really important just for reading numbers on financial statements and also on different investment sites that you may be using for research. So reading large numbers on financial statements to quickly interpret a company's financial information, it's critical in order to get a sense of how good or bad a company's finances are. Now, for example, last week we talked about Pulte Group, the home builder. Now, if you were to look at Pulte Group's annual report, we could actually put this knowledge into action. So if you were to go to page 20 of the 2020 annual report, Pulte Group's management lists selected financial data for the firm. Now, this is usually one of the first parts of a 10K that I look at because it's kind of a nice summary of key financial data for a company. They just put a whole bunch of good info 
right there on one sheet. Now, at the very top of the table, it says, years ended December 31st, zero, zero, zeros omitted except per share data. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> well, below this language is the table itself. So there are five columns for different years worth of data. So in case, in this case, 2016 through 2020. Now let's look at the home building revenues for 2020. How much did the company make in home building sales? Well, the number we actually see is $10,673,913. So at first glance, this looks like just over 10.5 million. But because the top of the chart said zero, zero, zeros omitted and they used three zeros there, that means to save space and simplify the chart, management just shortened the numbers by three orders of magnitude. So three zeros is equivalent to a thousand, right? A thousand has three zeros in it. So if we were to add three zeros to the home building revenue, the number that we actually get is $10,673,913,000. That's the actual number. And this is a big difference. It makes perfect sense that that's the actual number when you think about it too, because the entire market capitalization of Poldu Group is nearly $15 billion. So it would make a lot more sense that a company of this size, which has a revenue of over $10 billion, is being valued at $15 billion. It just wouldn't make sense for a company being valued at $15 billion to only be making $10.6 million in revenue. There's a big difference between a million and a billion, right? <laughs> So other numbers on this chart can be treated pretty similarly. Now, for example, if we were to look further down this table and look at the diluted number of shares outstanding, it looks like it's 269,414. But in reality, it's 269,414,000. Now, the only exceptions on this chart are the per share data, which was noted at the very top of the table. With this knowledge, you can now read financial statements with more confidence. Eventually, as it happened with me over time, it'll become pretty intuitive to you about how big or small a company's numbers are based on order of magnitude. For example, when you're studying large S&P 500 companies, when you're looking at these numbers in the annual reports, this will often be the case. They'll leave out three zeros because it just takes up so much space to write numbers in terms of billions. And so to simplify things, it looks like it's on the order of magnitude of millions, but just know that you're usually reading about billions, especially if you're looking at a number like sales or profits for a very large company. All right. Another way that we can apply this knowledge is through the concept of intrinsic value, which is basically the amount of money that a stock is actually worth. So I may try to sell you something for $100 or $1, but deep down you may know it's really worth $50, right? So that's the concept of intrinsic value. What is it actually worth? Not just someone's opinion, but what is it worth based on 
some kind of objective set of criteria or measures such as the cash flows that the investment produces. And this is really the core principles of value investing. You want to buy stocks based on intrinsic value. Now, you don't need to know exactly how much a stock is worth, actually. That's part of the beautiful part about investing. You don't need to pinpoint exactly this stock is worth $55.28. No, you don't need to know that. All you have to do is kind of get it in the ballpark, and that's going to be good enough as an investor. If something is way overvalued, you should be able to tell. And if something is way undervalued, you should be able to tell too. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes things are over or undervalued by a solid order of magnitude uh, more or less than they should be. And I'll just give you an example of one of my own stock purchases that I made last year. So I did an episode on Walgreens way back in 2019, and I thought it was cheap at the time. But frankly, it could have been a little cheaper, and so I just kind of held off on it. Well, guess what? In fall of 2020, I got my wish. (laughs) The stock got even cheaper. In fact, it was so cheap, it was trading for just six times normalized earnings. Now, I didn't have to do any fancy analysis on this one, guys. All I did was study the story of the company and understand how basic valuations work. And through that knowledge, I was able to tell that this stock was undervalued. So guess what I did? I bought it. The price to earnings ratio was a solid order of magnitude lower than many stocks trading in the market. And it's not hard to find tech stocks, for example, trading at 60 times earnings right now. Now, I'll admit, I didn't know exactly how much Walgreens stock was worth, But I did know it was worth way more than it was trading for. Now, that's another way that you can apply this mental model to stock selection. If something looks super cheap, well, that might be a good indicator that it's undervalued. Not always, of course, and there's other factors to consider, like the risk of the firm, things like that. I mean, in this case, I had studied Walgreens history intensively. I knew what the cash flows look like. I knew how steady their profits and revenues have grown over time. They have a pretty good record as far as building shareholder wealth and total shareholder return. And I thought, wow, this is a 100-year-old company that just got beaten down so badly as if it's not going to exist anymore. And so that's when I jumped on it. And I didn't have to know exactly how much Walgreens stock was worth. All I knew was was the basic fundamentals seemed sound to me. And also that from a valuation perspective, I had a good margin of safety, which I mean, in and of itself, that's another mental model. We can get to that another day. But the main thing I want to share with you is that that order of magnitude difference in valuation between Walgreens at that time and many other companies in the market told me that I probably had a good shot at some good returns buying that company at that price as opposed to other companies at much higher prices. And that's why I made the decision that I did. And I'm recording this in summer 2021 and the stock has actually come up quite nicely, thankfully, but that won't always happen right away, but sometimes it does and it's pretty nice. 
But just think about that when you are thinking about buying a particular stock. How am I looking at the orders of magnitude from a valuation perspective? So there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this mental model. So that's the mental model of orders of magnitude. So I hope you enjoy this explanation. I really hope that I was clear in conveying these concepts to you. Now, as a recap, orders of magnitude help set the sense of scale for numbers. They help you intuitively discern how big or small something is. And as investors, we can apply this knowledge in a couple of different ways. One is by knowing how to interpret growth rates on a logarithmic chart. Another is by intuitively understanding the sense of scale of a company's numbers in their financial statements. And thirdly, we can also use this knowledge to help us understand relative valuation of a company's stock. And that can help us make good decisions when we're buying or selling, for example. And I didn't talk about the selling side of this intrinsic value component of the episode, but it's also true as well. If you have a stock that you know is way, way overvalued and you own it, well, maybe you could sell it and make a profit, especially if you see another stock in the market that's trading much more cheaply based on certain valuation measures and you just have a good sense that the order of magnitude is like way too high for you. So you can apply that in the other way as well. But these are some ways that you can apply this mental model of order of magnitude, and I hope it serves you well in your investing practice. That's all I got for you today, and I want to say thank you so much for listening. If you want to help out the show, the main way you can do that is by sharing this show with a friend. Share it with someone who you think could benefit from all the knowledge and all the information that I'm sharing with you here that would really help the show out. Thank you in advance. And then also, if you're interested in receiving a free companion to the most downloaded episode of this podcast, which is 100 Stock Investing Lessons, go back and listen to episode 100 if you haven't heard that already. I just spend well over an hour going through all of the lessons I've learned in the stock market and just giving it all to you completely free. And if you want a companion to that audio episode, because sometimes it helps to have a visual, go to stockstoryteller.com and sign up for the mailing list. And once you put in your email address, you will get that as a free download. So again, go to stockstoryteller.com in order to get that visual. All right. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week. Information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.